everybody, and welcome to the second part of another episode of Flail Forward. We are still talking about uh, a system, creating a system for capability versus direction. I am again your host, Fred, and I have with me tonight Mr. Karas Nower. Hello. Miss Cat. Uh, hi. Yeah, I'm alive. <laughs> and Jonathan. Hello. And Cavoir. Hopefully, uh, I will die a horrible death this time. <laughs> oh God! Did you say will? Hopefully, I won't. Oh yeah, I, I hope that well, too. I heard hopefully you will. <laughs> That's what I thought too. Um, but we also I mean, I'm sure that like you'll have something in common with like you know our listener who by the end of this probably will want to commit suicide. Yeah, great. We've become a snuff cut podcast. <laughs> I think okay. we always had that in our heart. No. <laughs> um, so all of that aside, we also have Mark. Oh, good. Um, the perfect segue. <laughs> Speaking of killing yourself, this. Mark's here. <laughs> oh, guys, Mark's here. Yeah. Suicide. <laughs> and then Mark. Yeah, great. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, so welcome back. As I said, this is the second part of an episode, so if you haven't heard the first part, uh, you should probably go listen to that because we define a bunch of terms. Um, but for it's been a week, so we're talking about designing a, or creating a system for capability versus direction. Uh, so basically the difference between your GURPS, which is capability, can kind of do a lot of things, or your uh, like Monster Hearts, which is direction, which can do... I mean, still a fair few things, but it's much more directed towards a specific experience. Uh, and this week, we're going to, because we talked a lot about direction last week, we're going to start out this week by talking about ca uh, capacity or capability. So, uh, what types of capability are there, if any? Because last time we talked about types of direction. I, th I think they're the same as the types of direction which before we defined as tone, theme, narrative, and motivation, I think. Mm-hmm. Sounds about right. I thought there was only three, and I think it was, like... Well, three was the or... mark thing, which was something different. Three was the methods of doing it and not the nature of the things. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah, this is what we get for waiting a whole week. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yep. <laughs> It's been a week, guys. Yeah. <laughs> That's why we're messing up. Um, but yeah, uh, so the thing we're referencing is Mark uh, last time talked about the three places in which you can put direction, which was in the system, the story, and the agent. So system is your mechanics. Your story is sort of the narrative structure, or how a story is told in your game. And the agent is the characters or how um, a player interacts with the game system. Yeah. All right. Um, That's crazy. <laughs> well, well, I don't know if we could say that yet, but you weren't crazy about that. I'm, I meant in context and reference to that in particular. There's no point making a blanket statement. That's not called up in court. Oh, how ironic when we're talking about capacity. All right. So 
okay, so if we've got these types of capacity or capability, we, we've used two different words. We should focus on one. Um, I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep saying capability because I think it's better. Um, anyway, so, uh, we have these four different types of capability and how do we then, we have, how do we then, um, make these different parts capable? Um, you know, how, how do we make it so we have a theme that players are able to, um, or have a, a space for players to kind of inject their own theme or their own tone um, within that uh, think, or play with it? I think one of the starting points is what Carr had mentioned earlier, which is um, um, having, I guess, the vocabulary as well to define a space where you're able to project your own image into the game. So what, what we had left off was how certain games define attributes. And if those attributes are such that they're um, open-ended or they can be interpreted in different ways, um, that allows you to fill in the blanks with your own creativity and um, potentially inject your own themes or tone or um, narrative into those elements of the story. Well, there's that. And also it's a conscious and very important design choice, whether you set up the dictionary of concepts in such a way that they're all sharp and pointed and narrow or whether they're broad and meant to be projected into. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like the example we kind of were talking about last time, uh, which isn't perfect here, but is a starting point at least, is the, uh, we were talking about like the <clears throat> attributes within D&D versus uh, something else that's a bit more directed, like the the strength attribute in D&D. There's a bunch of different kinds of strength. And so you have that fairly broad category you know, an 18 in strength means a lot of different things for different, you know, for different characters and for different people. So that's where or, you kind of get into that capability. It And, oh, another example is like, GURPS has hundreds of advantages and disadvantages. And they're all very specific. Because they just are. That's just GURPS's approach is to be specific about things. Whereas my game, Legendcraft, has the same sort of space, but does it with about 60 of the same things because they're broader. Hmm. They're so... specifically designed to be projected into and malleable. Okay, so you're you're talking about something that kind of gives you everything, like GURPS, you know, where it gives you the millions of skills, or something where it goes, here's a few skills, but here's also gives you kind of a a toolkit um, to expand into, right? Right. It's like like games that have a lot of particular options, or like. 
here's a bunch of paintings and you can pick one but when like when the when the options are bigger and broader the game is like okay here's a canvas and some paint do something with it so that gets it that goes that gets into the uh design patterns that I like to cite a lot, which is the showroom versus the workshop. Where <clears throat> I think we've mentioned this before on previous episodes where the the showroom is where the game presents all of its options and that's what they are and the players don't have much agency to take ownership of them they just are what they are whereas the workshop pattern is the game giving players a bunch of raw materials to build what they want mm -hmm. i'd actually like to use your your paint analogy and expand mm -hmm. upon it further because it actually does a good job of showing like the uh the variety that exists within this concept and that's like you can okay. start with a very broad uh set of strokes where you have like okay here you have not just a large number of paints to choose from but you can mix them together and paint pretty much whatever you want on the canvas then you might have more narrow one where it's like okay there's a very limited number of uh paints to work with you basically can't really make them. They just kind of exist or do what you can with what's there. And then on the opposing side of that, it's like, okay, here's a paint by numbers. There's only really one way to do this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Although I, I think that that paint by numbers is a little extreme when we're talking about role-playing games. Oh, it is, um, but, I'm, but it, yeah. it does kind of fit because even if that's the directed experience, which is like, this is what I'm trying to get you to do, there's not really a lot that the designer can do to stop you from ignoring the numbers and just painting them any color they want or going over the lines. You can still ignore a paint-by-numbers lines, but they're very clearly there. So it's like, it tends to um, direct people to follow, like, fill in in the lines, but it's it's not guaranteed. Yeah. Okay. All right. So now that we've kind of talked about the types and how we mess with them, uh, how do we then just make sure that when we put things in our game, they allow for that capability? Um, that they allow, you know, they allow for players to do something with it, to play with it, um, in especially within like systems. How do we? How do we do that? You have um, to make them interactive somehow. Yeah, it has to be either an option, like a list of options, or you have to put in like a question, like this is something that you need to answer, and if it's an mm -hmm. open-ended question, then you go you can add pretty much whatever you want to fill in there yeah my my word of choice when you were asking the question was interpretable 
um, that there's there's ambiguity, I guess, in the this question or this aspect of the game that allows for a bit of creativity to define the rest of that element, um, whether that's what a story structure should be like or um, what this attribute means or how this uh, action plays out when you take it. Um, I think it just becomes something that allows a player to inject their own creativity and their own um, ideas into the game. Yeah, and then that interpretation has to be um, meaningfully distinct. Like, you can't ask players to make a choice and then have and then it doesn't have any consequences right it's like why are you making why are you forcing them to make that choice mm-hmm. yeah it's one of the biggest things i noticed when i was trying to figure out like the issue with um getting players to describe their actions in like combat and such was that the single biggest problem was a lot of games they'll ask for players to describe how they're doing something, but there's no mechanics that back it up. So it's like you can give a lot of detail, but it doesn't change anything. So most players once they realize what they're doing doesn't change anything, they don't bother to do it. Like, you have to have like a consequence for a choice. If you choose to do something differently, it has to have some meaningful change. Right, and specifically with something like narrating combat actions and the level of detail given, like the particular the the details of the action, the they had everything that in, is included in the narration that players give of the of their characters has to echo forward, or else they don't have or they don't see any value in it. So, and then you find, then you have to find a way to incentivize players to do it, or at least try, because some players just won't. Um, So, like, if there's no mechanical difference between I attack with my sword and followed by dice clatter versus I take a wide swing with my hammer at the side of his knee dice clatter well attack with the sword doesn't doesn't echo at all but if you put a hammer to the side of somebody's knee they're going down and they're going to stay down that's the kind of echoing forward that matters and that incentivizes players to do it Okay. So how then do we make that part of the system? Is that then just a uh, something that's in the game where it's like, oh yeah, if you take a called shot, you get to choose some sort of uh, outcome or is it a fictional thing? Or, I mean, I guess it could be either of those. Um, but there has to be some way to put that in the system, I assume. Part of it would 
be explicit mechanics, but part of it would actually fall under training the uh, GM if there is one as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. something like this particular example comes is less about mechanics and more about play directive. Uh, like if if the GM is not used to the concept of letting players do things on their own, then they're going to run into like all sorts of problems. Like you're not going to really have a a play experience that's open ended with you know the whole concept of uh, capacity really if you're directing everything like you can't give a really narrow definition for every single thing that if you're hitting someone then you're just hitting them and it doesn't matter if you go into detail like the capacity has to actually be uh you have to make use of the fact that the gm is an actual human brain that's thinking about things and can adapt to whatever the players actually come up with. Yeah, it, it 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 changes. It's the difference between the play experience being narratively driven or mechanically pushed. Or not even pushed, like mechanically dragged forward. Huh. Like it, the game only moves forward because, oh, well, that use of the rules is done. I, we, I guess we have to move on to the next one. I think that's actually a good analogy for it. Is having the push versus the pull. Like if you're pulling something, then it can only go in the direction that it's being pulled. If you're pushing something, whoever is behind the wheel can actually change which direction it's going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can yeah. you I can guess. push a car and make it go in a direction but if you have somebody that's behind the wheel and somebody that's actually trying to push it out of the ditch then they can actually change the direction by turning the wheel yeah I think and if somebody's a- actually in the car sitting behind the wheel driving it that's a whole lot more efficient and fun mm-hmm. So uh, to move us off this a little bit, because um, I think we've kind of exhausted that. And I had a, a thought, um, which is, uh, I think, a weird edge case. But I was uh, I was thinking about riffs. It kind of popped into my head a little while ago. And I, I think that that and other there's other games like it that very specifically have huge settings um, you know, they have a lot of stuff going on in the setting, a lot of very much defined stuff going on in the setting. But they are, I think, trying to design for a lot of that capability by just having so much stuff going on, so many things in the world. So you can decide what you want to do, um, you know, and how you want to do it just based on the amount of choice that there is, not because you can kind of create it by yourself, um, but because there's just this mass of setting there that allows you, that gives you that choice. 
Well, I think that goes yeah, back to our original statement that if there's if you give a lot of choices, like you can list off multiple choices, but as long as there's multiple choices, you're basically making it more open-ended. The more choices you offer, the more capability there is within that to select what you happen to want. Or you can just leave it as an open-ended question and let them fill it in with whatever they want. But it's it's one or the other. If you give like a ton of options, then you have a lot of options to choose from. Well, no matter how many options there are, the players will go into that decision with the assumption that they have to take one of those options. Unless you explicitly state. Right. So since we're talking about breadth of setting, like the one of the most important things that a setting should have is empty spaces, which is essentially the choice other. Hobbes' yeah. favorite phrase of uh, clearly defined yeah. areas of doubt and uncertainty. <laughs> yep, yeah. that's the one. Exactly. I was trying to remember how it was phrased. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, like, you could have your setting that has a page each for know or half a page each for hundreds of different little dots on the map but if you just put dots on the map and don't say anything about them that's a completely open opportunity for the players mm-hmm. but at the same time i don't know if i fully would advocate for that in general um i think there's a lot of uh, good things in the rifts model and it's why i generally advocate for things that have some direction uh in general because there's that that jumping off point um you know there's that point where you can go oh okay there's this town over here and has x and y going on you know there's areas where we don't know what's happening and there are you know places where we can make up what we want to make up but at the same time you know we know that there's this weird thing and this other weird thing, so that's I, interesting. I think that's the important part, is the weird things. Like, uh, if, you, if you have, like, oh, there's this town, and they're focused on shoes, and then there's this other town, and they're really good at, like, mining. It's like, you don't really need to put that information in. Players can figure that out on their own. They're, they're fine with that. What you we'll really want to do is add the creative parts that they probably won't come up with on their own, because those are... That's like the main reason why you're buying a game or just picking one up off like for free or whatever from wherever. But the point is like you're playing a game specifically because it's doing some of the lifting for you. So you don't have to do that work. So if you're going to include anything in a map, it should be the really unique, interesting things that no one else is going to think of adding there. Or at least the thematically relevant things mm-hmm. that are, that are yeah. important to the designer. But the thing about the open spaces and the unlabeled dots on the map is they're not completely open, usually. Like, they're usually somehow put into concept by what's around them. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. There's some kind of context. If you put a dot at the base of a mountain, then it probably has something to do with the mountain. 
Right. Whereas a dot on the coast has a different set of implications that it brings with it. I, um, yeah, I recently played this game. It's just making me think of it called uh, A Quiet Year. Um, and it's a map building RPG where each player represents sort of a voice of a larger community. Um, and set up for the game, the first, there are four main phases of the game. And the first one is really you have a map and you get to create different points on that map, different points of interest. And it kind of goes around and you say, oh, I'd really like there to be a river close to our community so that we have water. And, uh, oh, um, this, um, I don't know, is a overrun uh, or rundown uh, ranger station in the middle of the forest. Um, and we've defined all these things. Um, and the only guidance that the game provides is that our timeline is immediately after some big war. We were fighting somebody that we don't know. And we expect that in a year, um, the frost shepherds are going to arrive and save us. So the game play, takes place over this year where you're exploring the surrounding area around your community and making decisions as a community. Um, but basically it's the structure. It's what you're talking about, about there are physical points on the map that you get to define. You know that there's something that needs to exist on this map and you get to just fill in that blank. And then um, the game rewards other people coming in and building on that um, that point in the map or sending people from our community to go explore it, something along those lines. Um, so the, the idea is that there's a setup and then a knockdown of this is an element of the game that I'd like to explore. And if someone else bites and is like, oh yeah, that's awesome, then you get to flush out more of what's happening in that area and explore uh, uh, that concept but it's basically just blank spaces that the players are expected to fill in um the central mechanic is always about asking questions so like um someone from your community was murdered who was it how did they die what are you going to do about it um and then you fill in those blanks i think i've read that and it it seemed to me like a really well thought out like almost a mini game that's focused on world building yeah uh i have and, it, it, and the the potential in it was pretty solid mhm it it does this concept really well it does the idea of um you can bring whatever motivations or whatever interests you have into this game space and the game will make room for it. Um, as long as you follow by the guidelines, these rails that are established. So you answer a question, you interpret it the way you want, and then you get to incorporate that element into the game world. So. Yeah. I haven't played that one, but I did play the kind of companion postscript game. Uh, I forgot the, I think it's like, it's the something forest. Anyway, uh, basically, I. it's actually really relevant to this, and, but for reasons you mostly covered, I like how it does, like, the same theoretical events are going to happen in most games other than the winter game ones, but 
how you interpret them is going to, based on what you've already created, is going to produce wildly different results, mm -hmm. things like that. Yeah, that's all I had to say. Sorry. <laughs> oh, that's perfectly Basically, fine. The game built on chaos theory, where a small change at the start of the game will alter everything that comes after it. I'm not sure I would say that about it, but yeah, that's one way to look mm -hmm. at it, I guess. All right. So now that we've talked about system Ooh, for a while. Forest, by the way, <laughs> sorry. Deep I felt forest. Bad. Cool. I felt bad for not knowing that one. No, that's fine. Um, deep forest. Okay, cool. Uh, well, okay. Now that we've talked about system for a bit and putting uh, capability in our systems, uh, we talked. So we talked about like putting direction in our art uh, and in our words last time as well. So how do we put capability into art? This one, I, I think, this is the harder question of the two um, because I it's it's easier to put some theme in a piece of art than it is to put no theme in a piece of art. I, in, yeah. in my opinion, um, I think actually one of the things that comes to mind when I was talking about this is uh, Jonathan's game cut to the chase, which um, he was recently showing us some uh, cover art that he was thinking about making for this game. And if you don't know, cut to the chase is just a chase game. It's a, it's supposed to be generic, but about a chase. And so the, his dilemma, it seemed to be, how do I visually describe something that is a chase without putting specific, um, like, genre constraints onto that? Well, the only real way that I can think of is to have a wide variety of examples like not just one picture but show like you know half dozen a dozen different uh, examples of doing something in different ways and then that way you get the concept of oh i can do more than just the most obvious uh, in particular right, I, if you... I, oh. I think jonathan had a mock-up that was like a vignette of different chases and also the the cortex prime cover art has like five different pieces in it so yeah if 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 you want to yeah that's the only real way to present some variety with it with the concept is to show different examples of it cuz otherwise one piece of art by itself will be taken pretty much literally as is this is the way to do it yeah that that's true and I, you guys have seen my the cover i actually chose and um it's pretty generic but there's some things on it that that brings sort of specific um things. did you keep the wolf and the rabbit version thing no the um the finished one it might be here somewhere but uh, the finished one is the the woman chasing the boy or young man or whatever with the skull. And um, regardless, though, um, it's that picture without being too specific highlights the theme of chase. So it's just doubling down on the theme that I already want. And it may imply certain things 
but the rules don't. So it's one of those things where you would see the cover um, and you might think something and then you would read the rules and hopefully you think, oh, like it's it's a little more than that. Um, but the, the picture didn't throw you in an unexpected direction or the text didn't throw you in an unexpected direction after the picture. Mm. Right. If, if, if anything, the text throws you into a wider space that you maybe didn't expect. Yeah. But it's not unexpected. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully that that's the hope is it's a little more than you might've gotten from the cover. There's more Mm -hmm. options. Um, but when, when we talk, I think about capability or capacity. What are we saying? Capability. <laughs> capability. <laughs> um, I think we have to remember and take into account uh, playing player desires. Or maybe we don't have to take it into account, but we have to acknowledge it that some people like continued direction with, within the... Uh, and some people don't, um, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah, something to something that has to be taken or kept in mind with capacity is there has to be just enough to suit the the intended breadth of the game, so that. You don't have so much capacity that your theme or tone, if you have one, can be diluted or abandoned by the players. Like, if you want to keep the game tightly about X, then you don't really need the capacity for Y and Z. You might think it's cool to have those, but if you want to, if you want the players to stay on theme, then don't give them so much room to walk away from it. Well, yeah. I think you can have extra stuff. It just be careful about having extra stuff in that particular area. So it's like, if you want to have, you know, the concept of a very open character design, but you want to have like a very specific theme, then anything in involving like the theme in the game keep it kind of restrictive there but you can open it up in other areas of the game so that you have more options elsewhere just for the points that you want to have strictly controlled then just strictly control those particular sections yeah like as we were talking about earlier with jonathan's game you can do any type of chase but it has to be a chase yeah. Is how it yeah. is designed, which is kind yeah. of sort of the still essence of this. Yeah, it has to be a chase. It can't be a fight or a debate or um, a journey for the sake of journeying. It has mm-hmm. to be a chase one after the other. Yeah. And I think th- those are all right. I, I, I just, the, the point of, I was trying to get at, and I don't know where this comes into everything, is. Um, giving the work to uh like um a campaign setting um a game might have a lot of uh capability 
but we might not want to do the work. And that's kind of what I, I was thinking, like when you have to think about um, how much room you might leave a room for a lot of capability, but you might al- make allowances for it to be filled with some pre-made thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that a uh, high amount of capability often have a high creative ask on players. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, like, you know, just, just handing someone a GURPS book and going, OK, play this. Uh, is is a little daunting because then you have to go okay what are we playing with in GURPS you know what are we what are we using this for um, and creating yeah, something yeah because generic and even more so universal systems are front loaded with work where you have to somehow come up with a setting before you can do much else at least mm-hmm. the bones of it Strangely enough, you can do a lot more than you might think in certain things. Like, even the example of Jonathan's, like, chase game. Like, the scenario I built for it is technically not actually a chase. But it still feels like a chase. And it still has, like, uh, a character that is basically being chased, except... Technically speaking, one of the characters never actually moves from their spot, which is mm-hmm. a little bit weird, but you have other things going on around it. Basically, in this particular scenario, you have. Well, sorry, what? Even if, okay, so it doesn't have to be a chase, but it has to effectively function as a chase, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it still has to function. It has to have the feel of a chase, but you can technically have it where one of the characters never moves. I actually found a way to do that. Like, the whole point was to try to show that you can do more with it than you might at first think. It's, it's interesting, um, as, because I've, I've been getting more people to write uh, scenarios and someone wrote a scenario that was um, a um, bacterial infection versus an immune system. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. And, and along with cats and, and some of the other ones. And it was like, these are very creative and functional um, uses of this, this theme and structure that I set up. Uh, but, but with both of those specifically and some of the other ones, it's like, it just like, Oh, like this is pretty cool because it, it feels like people are actually hacking the game, even though like it's such a small little thing. Um, like the, it, it's, it was just interesting because yeah, it felt like a game hack. Um, it, it still almost has the basic, concept and feel of it though like bacterial infections like okay you still are invading the body and the antibodies and such are trying to chase down the infection sort of but it it's not really the same concept but it, it still fits yeah yeah so yeah it's it's interesting for sure All right. Oh, okay. So actually, since we talked about art, 
Um, and we kind of dancing around this a bit, but we should talk about how to put capability into your wording. Um, and I, I think one of the things we talked about when talking about direction last time was uh, evocativeness, you know, was ha having that word or that phrase that people read mean something, you know, have it conjure some image in their brain. Um, and so when we're designing for capability, we almost, you know, we want to do to a certain extent the opposite. Um, or we want to give players the tools to make that evocativeness themselves. There's actually a very specific way that that's handled in writing. Like if you're doing like, <clears throat> excuse me, novel writing and stuff, then they teach you a very specific uh, thing in regards to that, and that's to avoid giving descriptive details that are related to the individual's preference. So, for example, the, the most common example that's used, oddly enough, is um, uh, describing, like, a woman with great legs. If you say that, oh yeah, she had, like, the most beautiful legs you'd ever seen, then that would be, uh, that would fall under the concept of capability, because the individual that's reading it will fill in whatever they consider to be great legs in that information. Like, you don't know what their preferences are, don't worry, you've made it vague enough, they will fill it in on their own. If, however, you were to say, oh yeah, she had, like, extremely long legs, and they were this pale olive color, and they looked amazing, and it's like, yeah, but that person might not consider that attractive, and they might specifically hate that. So it, it come, if you give too much information that comes down to personal preferences, then you're basically directing what exists. If you leave it open-ended and let the uh, reader figure out what to put in that place, then you're leaving it much more open-ended, which works a lot better in something like horror, which is why a lot of Lovecraft stuff is... Uh, still good today because he very explicitly tried put in a lot of detail while leaving very large gaps to be filled in. It was just enough scaffolding for the mind to fill in the blanks of what it would personally consider scary because you as the writer don't know what each individual person is going to find scary. But they're very good at scaring themselves. Yeah, that, that, that's a good point. And it goes back to what we were talking about last week about giving the player room to project into the game. And, also, and it also goes back to our previous episode about immersion, which is kind of the same thing, like giving the player a space to jump in. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. And Go ahead, Mark. Oh, okay. Um, I was going to say that I found that with my designing, um, that questions are a great opportunity to do that. And through the games that I've played and what I've designed in my own, that that um, question provides the right rail or the right box 
within which you need an answer, but it allows the person um, a huge amount of flexibility and creativity within that space. So you can tailor your question to be as broad or as narrow as you want um, or as the game needs. And then within that, um, that's when the, the person can create. Um, so in terms of having evocativeness come from answering the question, um, my way of resolving that is either uh, outsourcing it to all the other players. So if you're asking a, a question to one player, everyone else can contribute or by having examples that can stimulate sort of that broad range of potential answers. So that someone can say, ooh, that's a really cool idea. I didn't take that interpretation. I didn't think a chase could be between uh, microscopic things. Like I didn't even think of that scale. I always think about people or, or individuals. Um, so just having that broad range of what is our what is the p possible answer to this question really gives you that scope. Well, you could do other things with it as well. Like why have individuals even be the thing? Why not have groups? Like you could use cut to the chase to design something like an arms race between yeah. the countries. Like, yeah, mm -hmm. like, you can work with very, large groups like it's it's an open enough concept that as long as you have a goal where two two different entities are trying to either reach the same goal or one's trying to catch the other before they reach the goal that's a very vague and open-ended uh, space to work. Mm -hmm. So, uh, well, getting back to what Fred was saying about what capability is being the opposite of direction, like, it's not really the opposite, so to speak, it's the other end of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, isn't that kind of an opposite, though? I mean, you're right. Well, saying it's an opposite kind of sets up the the space as one or the other without any gray area in between. Oh, I thought we'd already established it was a spectrum. But anyway, yeah, you're right. It is it is uh most most games are not at one end or the other. In fact, I don't think any are really at one extreme or the other. But um, continue. True. Um However, like, your game is going to fall in general somewhere on that spectrum. And it's going to feel better if it, if it, if the various mechanics and systems and whatnot in the game don't vary too much from its average position. Mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> like, if you have a game that gives five choices for everything, but then there's this one thing that's like a, a question that begins with what, that 
one question feels out of place with the rest of the game. Because every everything else in the game is essentially a a multiple choice with X number of presented options. But the what question is completely open and it feels dissonant mm. from the rest of the game. However, one might want that to highlight a specific part. Um, you could you know, want that. If if it's important enough to some aspect of the game, the the theme or the tone or or whatnot, yeah, you can do that. But in general, the game will feel tighter it when its mechanics are close to cl- are all individually closer together, more clustered tightly on that spectrum. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I'll generally agree with you. One thing I'd like to point out is the capability within theme. Like, a theme doesn't have to be super, super linear. It doesn't have to be very uh, defined. Like, it doesn't need a ton of direction, oddly enough. Uh, For example, for example, I'm going to use my own game just because I can think of it off the top of my head. Like, mm-hmm. the basic premise and theme is to learn who you are as an individual. But the, the way I set it up, I wanted to make absolutely certain that there wasn't a predetermined answer to begin with from there. Like, you basically start off as, oh, you have like this is the thing that you value most you somehow betrayed it and but that doesn't necessarily mean that where your starting point is is going to be where your end point is because that would have been the default way to have set it up and if i had just left it like that it would have been like oh well you have to follow like a very strict method of like just by default even before that it was would have been something like you have to conform to this strict morality or whatever. It's like, okay, so by making somebody be judged by their own standards instead of a, a external morality system, that gives a lot more capability for like what you can do with it mm-hmm. by making it so that you don't have to end up in the same place as you started. It gives even more capability because it's like, okay, I started off valuing, supposedly, uh, helping other people. But then it turns out, as I go through playing the character, that's not actually what this character really cares about in the first place. They just thought that was the most important thing to them. Or maybe they changed over time, and it turns out they're actually more interested in freedom as a concept. And if they have to put the two at odds against one another, then they find out, oh, it turns out that I actually prefer freedom over helping others, and that is a form of helping others in this character's But, yeah, it's like, by making it very open-ended in the interpretation of that, it lets the entire theme be open. Yeah, yeah, that that's that's the exception 
I'm I I I meant with if a if a rule is different than the rest, but it's more important to the theme or the tone, then yeah, go ahead and make it different because it it's important enough to justify that deviation from the game's through line of design. Awkward then... silence to edit out. <laughs> um, yeah. There... Oh, sorry. Is there a place? Yeah. Is there a place here to talk about uh, setting up conflict in the game here? Um, mm, I think that that's more part of a direction discussion. Uh, I, I mean, I, I guess so. What what did you have in mind? Well, I it kind of goes back to Mark's thing about asking questions and his very good like world building questions, which there's only ten of, but they do a lot of heavy lifting. Where either the game can establish conflict on its own like D&D was does with alignment or it can ask the players to figure out what concept they want to play with or what conflict they want to participate in. Mhm. Mhm. Yep. That's exactly the point. So like this gets into more of the sort of narrative aspect of direction versus capability like what is the central thread of the storyline that's happening like who do, who decides what that is does the the designer do that because their game is essentially a wrapper for this one scenario that they've written or is it you know the the, the setting is set up with various factions that interact in different ways and the players can drop themselves into whichever of those interactions they, they want or, or are the players like constructing the setting whole cloth and with that comes the conflict. Well, I think one of the biggest things is just are you making room for them to add more to what's like even if you include like 20 different factions if you make it so that you can add more factions beyond those then you're giving plenty of room for there to be uh, more capability really all things considered like even if you look at something like say warhammer 40 like, there's only the 18, technically 20 original uh, different um, Space Marine factions. But they set it up in such a way that even though there were 18 original ones, they branched out and now there's like 
hundreds or thousands of different ones, which means that you can play one of these main well-known ones, but there's also a lot of other ones that exist that are never named. So you can say, oh yeah, I've totally made up this new one and it's totally a thing. It's a little odd because it's so rigidly defined and yet it's heavily open at the same time. Uh, that's good. However, I think I would turn it around a little bit where I wouldn't advocate for leaving space for more capability. I would advocate for not filling the entire capability space or or filling it filling that space in a way that it, it that nothing else can be added into it because mm -hmm. some players like doing extrapolative world building and creating their own factions and you know, developing what the dot on the map is and all that, but some players don't. They're perfectly fine to work with whatever's put in front of them. Okay, in which case I think that that gives us a way to describe two very distinctive forms of capability. One of them would be basically um, like renovations on the inside of the house, like updating your kitchen. And another type would be like adding a completely new section onto the house that is like, okay, we're going to add a new bedroom that didn't exist before. So you're talking about revisionist versus expansionist? Yeah, pretty much. Like, I, I think they both have room to add new stuff. It's just. It's a very different style of new stuff that's being added. Like, one's yeah. within the confines of what's already described, and one expands the definition of what's being described. Even things like um, how some games are adding legacy elements, like certain rules are not even implemented at the beginning, but they might be implemented as players need them or want them in the game. Um, it can take on a different shape based on what the players are interested in interacting with. I think that's kind of standard, though, to a degree. Like, mm. if like if you're going to have like, um, say, magic in your set, not everybody necessarily needs all of the mechanics that relate magic because it's like if you're not a mage you can't and you can't cast any spells then you don't really not need to interact with rules of how to make a spell or how to cast a spell you might have to deal with defending against one but that yeah but if if a player character has any chance of actually using magic themselves then the, then that's kind of a demand that the game includes how the characters do that. Oh yeah, I mean, like, like it should be there, but 
like if if the setting has magic but it's essentially lost or not recognized for what it is or not used then yeah all those implementation details of magic the workability of it can be kept off the page but as soon as the player picks up a wand and manages to fireball somebody all that stuff has to be on stage now because not having that makes their new ability like undefined to the point of being useless yeah all right um well i think now that we're getting into the uh deep bits of that does anyone have any last points they want to make um last made you know big points they want to make about uh capability versus direction um i think there's a discussion to be had about agency with this All right. Uh, what do you mean by that? Um, like, okay, we've we've established direction and capability of as kind of the the bounds of a spectrum. So, like, anything that's sitting on that spectrum is meant to be interacted with and the player may or may not like push the boundaries of how you're expected to interact with it based on context or or situation whatever so like you know the the kind of things that get to like the the questions that a game cannot answer because it cannot address everything. Hmm. And so like if a concept is broad enough and has a wide range of interpretation, like at one point does that interpretation become um bounded to where yeah that's op- yeah you technically can do that but it doesn't make sense to do that i i guess the an example of this would be in D&D 5e the the that what's he ruled that the material produced by the grease spell is not flammable well, traditionally it is, and saying that it isn't drastically changes the capability of that one spell. Mm-hmm. In a related example, uh, her, so, now a player, so now a player has no agency to say, well, I cast grease on the wall and then throw my torch at it. But anyway, go ahead, Kat. In a related uh, example, I was talking with a guy who made uh, operations and tactics, and he described an interesting problem 
that he ran into in one of his games semi-recently where he was like, one of his players wanted to know how to use an anti-tank weapon on a individual person. He was like, I don't even have rules for how to aim at that small of a target. And he had to make it up on the spot, but it was like, it's a concept that it wasn't something that he had even considered that somebody might try to do in the first place. So he never even gave like an ability for it in the game. It's in there now, but it was just one of those odd things that in some ways, if you try to define something a little too well based on what it's normally used for, you might unintentionally be restricting the capability of using it in a more creative manner. Like trying to use a rocket-propelled grenade against a single person. Right, well, yeah, that comes... That's just, you know, being aware of the, 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 the precept that players will find a way to employ overkill. <laughs> so like yeah it's kind of an obvious situation where you don't consider like how do you f like how do i target a person with a with an anti-aircraft missile but that's kind of like the the most extreme version of like how many hit points of damage does my paring knife do well, okay, it's a knife, but it's not meant to be used on people. Well, obviously it's relevant. You don't have a license for that in uh, Breton anyway. Okay, true, but like, <laughs> it behooves a designer to remember that whatever they put in the game is probably going to be used for something other than they intend it to be. Yeah, and to the degree, you can just make uh, a lot of things. like That's like the concept of an improvised weapon, where it's like, you can totally hit someone with a chair or a paring knife. Like, it's, it's open-ended so that this covers basically whatever you're going to use for it. Right. So, I guess this brings back to another question of capability is writing the rules in such a way that they cover logical gaps. Like, if you have a weapons list and they all do X, XYZ damage or whatever, and, you know, during sometime during play, there's a bar fight and somebody wants to slam somebody over the head with a bottle. Well, okay, logically, that bottle is going to hurt that person. But... Now, the people at the table are tasked with figuring out how damaging it is. And usually the explicit list of weapons will give some kind of guidance toward that. So, you know, sometimes logical gaps can be extrapolated from the extant material, but sometimes they can't or it's not that obvious 
So, yeah. I, you know, you, writing you, rules in such a way that they're more broadly applicable than you originally envisioned is a valuable skill. Now, interestingly enough, you can, like, with the weapon example, you can even do things so that they're both more open-ended while also at the same time being more specific. Like, the way I ended up doing my own sort of setup for weapons is that each weapon type has a set of skills and specific abilities that they can do explicit to that kind of uh, weapon, but it's like you're describing somebody just picking up like a bottle, and it's like, well, by default, it basically is a crushing damage weapon. It's a brute force weapon. Like, it's a very blunt kind of instrument at first, but once you've broken the bottle over someone's head, now it's a piercing damage weapon, and it's closer to finesse in that case, as you have to be much more uh, specific in how you use it rather than just swinging it around wildly in order to really get the effect you're trying to go for. Yeah, rules rules need some kind of <clears throat> minimal ability to adapt to how the situation changes. Yeah, definitely. And if you're going to list every single thing one at a time in great detail, it still kind of behooves you to have, like, an extra option, which is like the catch-all for anything that doesn't follow under all of the other things that have been explicitly listed, goes here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah just having a good catch-all thing or a, you know, a Dia makes a ruling real quick and then you move on. Um, yeah, something like that is very useful, especially in a game that's supposed to be capable and handle things. Um, Kevor or Mark, do you guys have any last thoughts? Not really. Yeah, I think we've covered everything that I wanted to chat about. Okay. Coolio. Uh, I will, I think we'll call that an episode then. So, woo! Thank you, listener, for joining us again. Uh, again, you can find us on social media, you can Twitter, you can join our Discord, um, you can go on our Facebook. You can look at our Pornhub account. Seriously, <laughs> legitimately, we have a Pornhub account. Um, and you know, you can you can find us from there. Uh, all that will be in the show notes. And we hope you enjoyed listening. And we hope that you all have a good night and a good week. Good night. Night. night.